Hello, and welcome to Slice of Wine, the podcast that gives you the snippets of the people, places, and innovations behind the barrel. I'm your host, Amy Cronin, and today I'm here with the wonderful Mr. Bob Trimble. Bob's what I might call a wine entrepreneur. Um, I mean, he has expensive, extensive experience in education, importing, distributing, consulting, traveling, um, and a, he's an expert in what a lot of companies find a, to be a mystery, and that is uh, selling into a control state, uh, specifically the great state of Pennsylvania. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Gee, thanks, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm glad. I heard you had uh, the COVID earlier in the month and <laughs> have survived. I'm glad. I was just happy to get that herd immunity going, you know? Yes, right. There you go. Yeah, well, welcome to the tribe <laughs> of being immune. I feel so You're much better. Boosters now. <laughs> so um, uh, I wanted to start because, you know, you've been in the wine industry for quite some time. But we all have kind of like a, a different, unique story uh, about how we even get into this wine industry. Did you, how did you get into the wine industry? I don't know this story. Well, um, Fascinating enough, while I was in college, I needed some extra money, no. and I got a bartending job because go to a job where there's alcohol, right? Of course, you're in college. But not just any bartending job. I actually got a, a job at a fine dining restaurant. Uh, I knew nothing about fine dining, to be honest with you. I knew nothing about wine. And the maitre d' at the end of the evening would come up out of the basement and, and he'd bring a bottle of wine and he'd get all the waiters around and me and he'd open it and he'd taste it and he'd tell this cool little story about it and tell us all about it. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty neat. And then I'd set up Sunday bar and he'd flip Hugh Johnson's wine atlas in front of me, you know, and he'd say, read this, you know, so I started to read that and I started to, to get uh, more wine, quote unquote, knowledgeable or interested. And, you know, up until that point, uh, the only wine I really knew was this wine called Boone's Farm. <laughs> Strawberry Fields. Do you know Boone's Farm? Oh, it's it has a special, special place. <laughs> Isn't that a classic hat? <laughs> That's awesome. Is that, is that Burgess new or is that from the 70s? No, it's pretty new, but... Um, somebody from, I think Gallo is the people these days, but, um, yeah, I just, I couldn't resist. I had to have a Boone's farm hat to bring back my, my high school wine consumption days, <laughs> you know, but, um, so the fine dining restaurant was, was working really well. And, um, when I got out of school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I continued in restaurants and, um, I was a bar manager at a, place and this guy was selling me wine and he finally said you know you should get in this business and um, I said you know what I'd like to and he gave me a few names and I interviewed and I started as a lowly merchandiser going into to state stores in Pennsylvania and putting up displays you know and taking pictures and all that kind of stuff and uh, that's really kind of how I got bit by the wine bug. It's funny I, I'd have to say it has to be maybe 90% of people in the wine industry have been a bartender 
and or a merchandiser at some point in, in their career. I mean, like, you know, we know how to mix a drink and stack some cases. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so now um, you mentioned Pennsylvania and you um, are one of the few people who is really an expert in promoting products and getting products into the state of Pennsylvania. Tell me a little bit about like, you know, what if, you know, if a, if a product wants to even get in the state, like, how do you navigate this? What are, you know? Well, you know, it, it's a government run agency, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, and, and it's, they just really don't give you step by step directions on what you need to do. I mean, if you go to the website, you know, there's things you're supposed to know and all, but that doesn't even scratch the surface, to be honest with you. And, you know, like all government agencies, it's not the easiest thing to, to deal with. And there's a lot of unknowns. And it's taken me 35 plus years to figure out a bunch of those unknowns um, to kind of to learn the system. And I actually spent um, about a year and a half working in the system. I was uh, the chief of luxury selections, meaning all the fine wine that was coming into the state for a while. And uh, even though I didn't really enjoy that, I learned a ton from that experience, which was really good. And it enables me to do now what I do um, you know, for a living. And part of it is I'm an importer and a distributor that works in the state of Pennsylvania. You know, and, and part of my consulting uh, business, uh, one of the, the consulting, um, I guess, speeches or, or presentations I gave was to the Finger Lakes Wine Alliance, and the title was How to Do Business in Pennsylvania. You know, and interesting enough, after I did that presentation, there was about 45 wineries from the Finger Lakes. Um, one gentleman walked up to me and said, uh, we should talk, and that was John Wagner of Wagner Vineyards. And um, here we are three years later, and we have two of his wines listed with the PLCB, and we've done over 800 cases in a year of uh, his dry Riesling and Riesling. So um, it works. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Now, what sort of trends have you seen um, in, you know, for uh, products coming into the state or, you know, uh, just in, the, in, in recent years as far as um, product trends and positioning um, within Pennsylvania or, or the broader market with the brands that you're working with? Well, the interesting thing is the state has um, <clears throat> been on the last, boy, I'm not sure if it's been 10 years, but um, they've been redoing and rebranding their stores and trying to make them look more uh, presentable, and they've done a pretty decent job with that. Um, but, like, the hardest thing in our business is to get attention, whether it's on the floor or of a buyer, right? And and that's kind of the key. And, and knowing what the trends are right now, premiumization continues to be extremely important. It's the arena that I try to play in. Um, so you can't be everything to everybody, but I try to, to really play in that premiumization game, whether it's wine or actually I started to do spirits too recently. Um, you know, and <clears throat> those things tend to work better. Um, you tend to make more money for the time you spend, which is tremendously important, you know, and uh, that works. So RTDs, um, those things are crazy. You know, 
Um, what else? Just look at the trends. Tequila is hot. You know, cognac's hot again, especially because Hennessy can't supply everybody. So, you know, if you have an alternative cognac brand, it's a good time to present that and, and different things like that. So, you know, those things tend to work really well. Um, what about, um, you know, we're seeing more and more white labels uh, on the market now. Um, you know, these are, and you know, for everyone in the trade sort of knows this term white label, but if you're not in the trade, you know, it's basically a brand that, uh, was created for a specific store, for specific store chain, or even for, for a specific restaurant that's not really owned by, you know, uh, a, a, doesn't have a brand owner necessarily outside of that group. Um, what do you, what do you think this is doing? What do you think the effect of, you know, these white labels are on, you know, consumers and, you know, selling wine B2C? Well, maybe I'm old school with this, but um, for me, white labels kind of muddy the water. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, they make these products. And, and for me, one of the most interesting things about the business, the wine business, is the personalities behind it and the stories behind it. And if, if you know anything about wine or, or just products and selling products, stories sell, right? And, and when you have a really good dynamic story, those things are memorable and those things help sell the product. With white labels, there's really no story, you know? And, and you know, a perfect example, we were talking the other day about um, Martha Stewart just came out with a 19 Crimes uh, approachable Chardonnay, okay? So, we need another approachable Chardonnay. There aren't enough of those on the market. <laughs> that, that's exactly the point. First of all, what is an approachable Chardonnay, okay? And, I mean, there's no approachable Chardonnays already on the market, okay? So so it it, it just muddies the waters and, and people go, well, I'm not quite sure what that is. And, you know, Martha Stewart's doing this thing now. And I kind of refer to it as the 20th crime. But um, because what is what is that saying? Calling it an, an approachable Chardonnay, <laughs> right? Right. That and and just Martha Stewart in the wine business now. I don't know if she needs to be in the wine business. <laughs> she, she she can package our wines. Yeah, <laughs> that's my personal opinion. But just from an educational point of view, it makes it more difficult for the consumers to to understand things about wine. And one of the things when I do wine education or wine tastings and things like that. I try to explain to the audience why a wine tastes the way it does. And when you're buying a wine label, a lot of the information, or white label, I should say, a lot of the information is missing to put those pieces together. You know, or you just don't know. And I, I just find it completely non-interesting, and I don't find the wines very interesting either, to be honest with you. But, you know, full circle, a good wine is always a wine that you like, and everybody has a different palate, you know. And our our goal is to get more people drinking wine. We're actually losing wine consumers right now, and, and the industry is not doing as good this year as they did last year. And, you know, the seltzer market and uh, RTDs and all these other things are stealing part of our market, you know. So we have to do some things. And, and one of the difficult things has always been is to demystify the wine business because there's so many people in our business that like to make it mysterious and, 
I know all the answers, you don't. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, what is the answer? What's the answer to, to making, you know, educating consumers in a way where they don't really feel educated, you know, or feel like you're educating them, like, you know, make it, making it approachable and fun. And, you know, I would say putting the fun back in wine, but there's no fun in wine, but there is fun in wine. It's just, not no, there is fun in wine. That's why you and I are in our business, right? That's right. Business. That's right. Because it's fun, you know, and, and part of what I've tried to do over the last couple of years with my own business now, after working in corporate for so many years, is do things that I think are fun and engaging again. You know, but <clears throat> for the consumer, it's it's not talking down to them. It's talking with them. It's explaining the process in terms that they understand and not making them feel like they don't know. Um, and, and, and just making it just approachable, right? Because why do we drink wine? One, one, you know, because it tastes good. Well, why does it taste good? There's a number of factors that help that. And, and why does wine taste different if it's grown in Burgundy than it does if it's grown in California or Oregon or things like that? You know, I think those are fascinating things. It's a great hobby. Um, it leads to better conversations, I think. Um, you know, and then the best thing in our business is enjoying a bottle of wine with a friend, right? And, and wine always tastes better with a friend or, or people to have a discussion and it, it just makes it, it better. And, you know, you get into the whole food thing, it makes food better, um, on and on and on. It's, it's, are a, you drinking a glass of wine now? I am drinking a glass of wine. It's, is it three o'clock somewhere? I it's mean, three oh. o'clock. <laughs> yes, right. three o'clock somewhere. <laughs> so I'm actually drinking a uh, Pinot Noir. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it comes from the Reese Vineyard. Um, and that's in San Mateo. Um, Kevin Harvey is this one of these investment guys that put all kinds of money behind Uber and Yahoo and Yelp and all that kind of stuff. And made a ton of money and started playing with Pinot Noir in his backyard and then started growing all these vineyards in the Santa Cruz mountains, which, you know, people don't think is Santa Cruz mountains is Pinot Noir property, but actually really good. And, you know, it's funny, I, I did a consumer event um, about a week ago and it was a Pinot Noir tasting. And this was, was one of the wines we had a little left over. So I put one of these fancy dancy repours in that preserves the wine. It actually takes the oxygen out. So, that's why I'm able to enjoy the wine a week later. What um, kind of fancy dancy, um, what topper is that? It's, it's, uh, so it's a little stopper. Yeah. And this biochemist guy actually invented it. Um, What's it called? It's called Repour. Whoops. Oh, it's it? called Repour. Yeah. Cool. Can people buy those? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, not like a trade only thing. No, it's Repour.com. I think, um, but, you know, it, it's funny, um, I discovered it, I think I saw it on LinkedIn, and I actually contacted the inventor, um, and I've had conversations and dinner with him now and the whole thing, and and I do a little bit of work with him just to uh, promote the product, but um, it really works. Yeah, I mean, I've literally opened something and, and had it re-poured for two months and going back to it, and um, the wine's in really good shape. You know, wow. It's kind of like a Corvan, but I think it's much easier and you don't have to go through all the canisters and everything else. Right, 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 right. Hey, I'm going to have to try that. Once I get through my La Vie Ferme 
from uh but so like uh, i think it's uh, lavier ferme rosé i think is a great everyday rosé it's you know it's one of the best values out there it's like real french rosé but they just introduced a three liter uh wine and bag and i had to buy it i had to try it out well you know we were talking about the snob appeal what better way to take the snob appeal out of wine than yeah. the three liter box of something good, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it and it, it it's the qualities. Honestly, it's still there. It's really it's it hasn't changed at all. It's it's quite it's quite nice. So, hey, I think alternative packaging. I mean, are you seeing a lot of alternative packaging in Pennsylvania? You know, yeah. I mean, cans were a big thing for a while, and it's funny. I had a I have a friend that's in in Tokyo. And he just um, emailed me the other day and he wanted to find out how canned wine and Underwood was doing in the States because he's writing an article for it. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure it's doing real good. Um, I think part of the issue with canned wine is the serving size is um, difficult. So, you know, if, if it's 12 ounces, people don't realize that's already half a bottle. So, you know, you can't drink it like you're drinking a 12 ounce beer <laughs> yeah yeah totally you know you want to have it on the sidelines of the soccer game but that's a you need someone to drive you home after that absolutely so i i think that makes it a little bit difficult and and they've come and they've gone but you know now with covid everybody i talk to right now is having trouble getting bottles right and glass and and all that so uh, and even aluminum is hard to get, and the beer industry is struggling because of that. So alternative packaging is going to be something we're going to see for the next couple of years, whether we like it or not. Yep, yep. So we might as well get used to it. And it's nice that it does sort of demystify wine. I mean, the story's still in the and story's still in the bottle, even if it's not a bottle. Right. You know? <laughs> no, absolutely. absolutely. Story's in the can. Story's in the box. Well, you know, look how long it took um, consumers to just be comfortable with screw caps, right? Totally, yeah. I mean, they're on tremendously good wines these days. I mean, yeah, 15 years ago, I mean, that was, you know, any product that wanted to put a screw screw cap on their bottle had to justify it, you know? And it was, there were big, long marketing conversations about, gosh, can the brand sustain this? What are we gonna do? You know, it was really like New Zealand and and, and Australia that really kind of came out and said, I, I, uh, I should be able to do a New Zealand accent, but like, crikey, <laughs> they're going to accept it. <laughs> they screw caps the way to go. Was that good? <laughs> that was good, actually. <laughs> no, yeah, New Zealand, 85% of what they produce, I think, now is screw cap, right? So, you know, and um, a lot of wineries have done experimentation and, and all that to see, and they're really finding no difference, you know, and, and now, the technology is such that they can actually uh, make a screw cap that can still aerate a bottle like a cork does. So, you know, um, it, it's super cool. Tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. So quickly going back to Pennsylvania, if there were like, so if I'm a new brand and I'm like, I really just want to be in Pennsylvania. Um, what are like the three tips you would give people just three, you know, like what are, it could be four, but you know, I'm not super strict, but <laughs> Of like, you know, what do you do? What uh, you know to, to to get attention from the state, get into the state. First and foremost, I totally recommend not trying to just do it by yourself. Um, some of the buyers in Pennsylvania um, like to try to talk you into coming directly and not have a broker or a distributor. 
Um, and you might get one buy out of the state that way, but then you're probably not going to get a buy for another three or four years because truth be told, once a buyer buys the wine, it's in their rearview mirror. They never look at it again. So um, you need to promote it and help sell it and do all those things that it takes. And you don't know how to do that from out of state. So you need somebody that really knows the system. <clears throat> it's important, I think, in every state, but even more so um, in a controlled state because it's so much more difficult to get your product in front of the board, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> you know, the other thing is I think keeping up on trends is, is really, really important um, <clears throat> because you want to be able to present to them and one of the best ways to get in front of them is picking items that are trending up considerably, right? Uh, and then, you know, just knowing um, how to look at their website and figure out what they have or what they don't have and what might be missing, you know, from a shelf set. Um, <clears throat> say they might be missing premium rum at $35 or $39, you know, things like that. It might be an Anejo tequila. Um, all those different things. So that's really a good point. I mean, the uh, Fine Wine and Good Spirits has a website. You can search all the products that you have. So you can search that and say, all right, look, I'm looking at this and uh, this is what they have for, you know, aged rums. And my aged rum is, you know, could I, I have a product that could fit into this category where they, you know, they don't have that many. That's what I'm going to lead with rather than going in into a crowded category. There's, you know, oh, yeah. there's no, resources right there. Yeah, because, you know, it's all about competition. And, and if 30 people are pitching a certain product, <clears throat> it's going to be a hard sell. Right. Well, and it and it's a little bit more transparent than selling to a typical distributor. Like when you go into a regular distributor, you don't you can't always see their entire portfolio. Very few have their entire portfolio listed to the product level listed on their website. But since the state is also a retailer, it's a lot more open. To people, you know, trying to do a little bit of research on. What Although uh, I'll give you a little secret, um, if you want to find what the distributor has in their book and it's not on their website, mm -hmm. if you go into 750.com and put in a zip code from the state you want to look at the distributors um, and register, like as an on-premise person, I do this, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I hope so. then I, I'll put in a zip code maybe for New Jersey and. Um, I'll look at the distributor and then I can see everything that they're trying to sell in that state. So you don't need to enter a liquor license to, to get an account? I hope 750 is not listening. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great way to do your homework because another really important thing in, in, you know, the consolidation of the distribution arena in the last 10 years is, is you know, there's 10% of what there was 10 years ago. Yeah, you know? yeah. So... But but what that's done is that's left room for smaller guys and entrepreneurial people like myself to come in because I don't have a gazillion brands that I have to focus on. And I'll pay attention to your brand versus, you know, a Southern Breakthrough, RNDC. It's, it's harder because they have so many more items in their book, right? Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. if you're a small brand, um, it's hard to be in those big books because the items that get attention are the items that come from the Diageos and Perno cards and constellations because they have additional financial incentives to sell those products. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it, it's really important to, to pick, 
your distributor wisely um, and that they have that background and that knowledge and, and the insight. And you only get that through experience, you know, and it takes a, takes a while to get that experience, to be honest with you. Speaking of experience, um, two questions. So the first is, you know, having gone through as a, you know, a, a wine entrepreneur in, in different sectors within this industry, working different sectors within this industry, um, what have, you know, what was sort of like your takeaway from the COVID pandemic as far as, you know, w what you do, what you offer out there? Well, you know, it's been interesting and, and everybody, I mean, <clears throat> what's the pandemic word? It's called pivot, right? Everybody has had to figure out how to pivot, whether, you know, <clears throat> you're a winery and you got to figure out an alternative package because you can't get enough glass, all those different things. You know, in, in what I've seen is, or figured out anyway, um, is it's important for me to have some diversification in what I do. And this last year, what I've done actually is, is I have two new arms kind of of the business. Um, you know, so I was an importer distributor and consulting. That's kind of been one arm. But this year, I'm also getting back into education. Uh, I'm going to start running a WSET school in Philadelphia for a company called Fine Vintage LTD that's based out of uh, Napa and, and is run by an MW named James Clure. Um, they're opening a Philadelphia school, and I love to teach, so he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So, you know, that's going to be fun. Um, and then the other aspect is, you know, um, I love to travel, and, and the wine business has afforded me an opportunity over the years to travel in so many places that I would never be able to travel or afford to travel. <clears throat> you know, and I, I spent so much time in, in Europe and in in France back in the days when I worked for Chateau and Estates. I mean, I was in Burgundy all the time, in Bordeaux, in Alsace, in Champagne, all those things. And all those things really help you to learn the products and, and the winer, wines from those regions. You know, it's, it's so important to go. And from all that experience and all my networking, <clears throat> what I want to do now is I'm going to actually lead one or two, maybe three trips a year to certain wine regions. And, and that'll be a lot of fun because I have the inside connections and those kind of things. So, you know, if you just go on a trip, you're not going to be able to get the connections that an insider is going to get. You know? 100%. So first of all, I'm raising my hand. Call me. <laughs> um, and, and second, I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits to working in the wine industry is that, you know, part of the job is going to these regions and like, you know, learning about the culture and the winemaking and just, you know, and traveling to, to these beautiful, amazing oh, places. And the difference uh, for a consumer, like if a consumer were to do, they could put together a nice trip, but they don't know what they're missing. Like going with someone who knows, you know, has actual contacts or like knows the winemaker, that's a much different experience. And it's, it really is. It it's really priceless. Is. It's really priceless. So uh, I got my number. Um, <laughs> I will call you. <laughs> so just kind of like as a, as a parting thought, um, you know, we've both been in the wine industry for quite some time. And um, uh, I, I guess over the years, like if you were to say, you know, what, what could you tell your 20 year old self, you know, like what sort of advice would you give yourself? Um, or, you know, people sort of new to the wine industry or just uh, people who need a reminder about it. 
of, um, you know, navigating it and setting yourself up for success? Boy, you know, <clears throat> when I was younger in the business, um, I paid no attention to the network, you know, and, and now, <clears throat> you know, being an entrepreneur, quote unquote, one of the things I've tried to do with COVID because of COVID, but also because of my business is just reach out and talk to people. And I can't tell you how many times over the last two years that just a conversation with an old friend has gotten me new business, you know, and, and that network is huge. And, you know, so with the travel thing, having the network is huge with the education thing, having the network is huge with the business model. I mean, I have a friend that I worked with at Chateau and Estates in the nineties who has a business now in, in Chicago. Right. And I've given him a couple wineries for out there and he's given me some products for back here. You know, and it's just that network and those references have both gotten us new business. And it all started with a simple conversation, you know, so, you know, and so important. And going back really quick to your, you know, your, your point about pivoting and how we, you know, we kind of have to, you, you know, COVID has kind of taught us to pivot and, you know, businesses have all just sort of learned, you gotta have to pivot and you have to move. Um, you never know in this particularly, I feel like in this wine industry, in the wine industry, you never know what your next path is going to be. So you might think, uh, I'm done with on-premise. I'm done with restaurants. And then 10 years later, you know, you're doing something sort of related to the restaurant industry. And you're, you know, those net network that you're talking about is super important and should always be nurtured, never go away. And, and, and I'll give you one quick final story. Um, a re really good friend of mine during the pandemic, and, and it's not just one of my friends, but a, a number of them have lost their jobs you know, because of the pandemic, you know, and, and this kid, um, he's considerably younger than I am, um, reached out and he started interviewing and he used me as a reference. And the guy actually reached out to me, uh, for this position. It was a national sales position for a company. And I didn't know the guy, but somebody who was one of my best friends at Chateau and Estates knew the guy really well. And because I had that network with my old friend, automatically this guy believed everything I said about my friend. My friend ended up getting the job because of my reference. And that is all the network, you know, because you answer a, a, an ad on wine jobs or whatever, there's 300 resumes minimum that come in. And if you don't have the keywords, you can have all the experience in the world, but your resume doesn't get chosen. If you have somebody that knows the hiring manager can talk to them and take your resume and I didn't get him the job. He got himself the job. I just got his resume put in the, I'm going to look at file. Right. And, and that's the key. So it's the network. The power of keeping up with old friends, huh? That's, Absolutely. Cheers to that. <laughs> cheers to that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for being on the show and I look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Hey, Amy, it's been my pleasure and um, have a great weekend. You too. <laughs> Cheers.